0: Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated, I'm the DJ and with me today I have the Professor. Hello. How's it going?
1: Going well, hopefully I've fixed my audio issues from last time, <laughs> although my microphone did decide to kill itself, literally as we sat down to record, so buried one from a friend and here we go.
0: <laughs> Sorry, you That's why we're having... late this week. Oh yeah. We're, it's t- we're totally like, well, at least the bright side at least at least we're not as bad as Hollywood when they do all these uh, delays and stuff.
1: Oh, I am dying to watch <laughs> June. And it's just been pushed back by over a month in Australia.
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, at
1: least I know the plot, so it's not going to be spoiled for me. But <laughs> uh, I just want to watch it.
0: Yeah, but isn't June coming out on um on streaming sites as well, though? Not oh, in Australia, a... really. Yep. Oh man, that totally sucks. I mean, if it was released on streaming sites, it would have been, it, it. would have compensated for the uh, theatricals. On okay, in on paper.
1: Yeah. And then we do have a bit of a discussion about that later, about what the uh, what people think about movies going to streaming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the most uh, vocal. Uh, directors about this topic is uh, Patty Jenkins, uh, famous for directing movies such as Wonder Woman and Star Wars: Rogue Squadron, uh, came out uh, at Comic Con, uh, Cinema Con, and said this: uh, Dreaming mo- movies released on streaming service made by streaming services are fake."
1: Okay, so I said later, but I meant right now because <laughs> I forgot what order the show was this week. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so, as I was saying, uh, so Jenkins was saying that, uh, she's saying that movies made by streaming services are fake, and she says, like this, I think this is such an interesting period of time because this pandemic struck right when we're at a moment where we're debating this issue anyway. It has been easy, very easy for a lot of people to use the pandemic as an argument pro something that some of the industry already trying to do, which is day-to-day. The truth is, I have th- I have thought there is a big un- understanding of the, the theatrical industry going on for a long time. In my view, the theatrical industry is always booming and can always be booming if there is a diverse content, appeals to all age groups, and is a wonderful experience. I mean, she's sugar... She- I mean, the start of it, she's-, she's basically sugarcoating the whole theatrical experience. Yeah, I'm... Um...
1: Movies aren't perfect, like movie theatres, that is. Yeah. And yes, you usually get better quality video and audio at the cinema, but you also can't beat actually watching the movie from the comfort of your own bed or couch with nobody talking over it. But this is a point that we made a few weeks ago that movies that go to streaming are traditionally known for being rubbish, and now the big movies are going to streaming, so how do we know what the... What it's going to be.
0: Yeah. It kind of sucks though. Like, it, it kind of sucks when you have to try and, um, uh... yeah, you're right. It's hard. It kind of sucks when you try and decipher, like, which movie's a good one to watch and which movie's a crap when the big companies are doing this, the sort of like, let's, let's do a um, an equal release date, one on streaming and one on, one on cinemas. Although, mind you, like, the, the downside to stream, to, for big companies to put on streaming sites is basically, people can easily rip this off and put it on, and sail it to the high seas basically.
1: It's definitely easier yeah to get a good quality web rip of a thing than to get a camera rip. Um, But a lot of the software, like Netflix, actually has anti-piracy features. So I found out that I noticed when I was watching Netflix I tried to move it to another monitor and the screen went black and the reason for that I worked out is because of the uh anti-piracy features
0: ah
1: and I also did some testing and worked out that if I open OBS which we use for streaming when we do that which we did once and then um went on hiatus but we should get back to that DJ
0: yep
1: <laughs> um if you try to capture it with OBS, it just comes up black. So I'm sure hackers have found a way around all of this, but oh, yeah. Yeah. it's not entirely straightforward, but it's certainly easier to get a quality web drip than it would be to get a quality camera.
0: And uh, Patty Jenkins also uh, includes this, uh, this, few, this few, uh, statement. And in my lifetime, I've uh, watched diversity of content plummet. You can have six theaters in, ta- in town, even in Los Angeles, and they're all playing the same three movies. Quality of the screens has gone way down. I'd say eighty percent of the time I go into theaters, the volume is is at a six or a five. The streaming industry has proven that it, th- it wasn't true that adults don't didn't want to go and see dramas, and that people didn't want to see docu documentaries. They do. Is she to-
1: saying that the volume is too low?
0: yeah <laughs> because i
1: feel like every time i've been to the movies in the past 10 years the volume has been way too high to the point that quite often during quiet moments you can hear music and action from the theater next door coming through
0: yeah yeah and she goes on to also say uh, they they do want to see all these things i'm going to fight right by your side to keep my films in the theatrical experience and I'm excited for us to bring back the theatrical industry on the other side of this. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, good on admirable to bring the theatrical experience back, but, I don't know, this, this COVID thing, I don't think it's possible.
1: No, not at this point.
0: No. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's like that old saying, you can't fight progress.
1: Yeah, the industry is changing because of COVID, and... I think there will still be a place for theatres and cinemas. I think we're not quite dead there yet. But I also think that theatres and cinemas don't really have what people are looking for at the moment, especially when there's a deadly pandemic going around and nobody wants to go out because they'll get sick. Yeah. Um, um, I... Oh, sorry. I think, like her point, that the quality of the projection and the audio has gone down. Uh, the people there, the ridiculous prices of the food, because the reason for that is that the movie theaters make basically nothing on tickets.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's interesting because I've, I went to, what, uh, to the interview that she, that she was with, and uh, she used her experience of Wonder Woman 1984, which was released both in theaters and on HBO Max, and she, her experience of it was a very, very difficult experience.
1: So she directed that, didn't she? Yeah,
0: she directed that. Um, yeah, she directed that. Uh, she, got, she went on to say, like, it was a very, very difficult choice. I was looking at what was what actually turning out to be true, which is we have no idea when this pandemic is going to get under control in the way we hoped. Is the best choice for a, bu- a, be- a best choice of a bunch of very bad choices at the moment. And she continues on to say, "I'm not yeah. a fan of the day. I'm not a fan of the day date. I hope to avoid it forever. The truth is, I make movies for the big screen. I'm okay with people watching it for a second or third time on their phone, but I'm not making it for that experience. I love the theatrical experience, and I don't understand why we're talking about throwing it away for 700 streaming services. There's no room for it in the marketplace." And she's right about how many, like, why why they're throwing it away for 700 streaming services.
1: There are a lot now. Yeah. And I do accept her point that watching a movie on a phone is a different experience. And that movies are made for the cinema. A lot of movies really feel better when they fill your full vision. I'm expecting Dune to be like that, because from the trailers and the uh, shots that they've released... There's a lot of wide shots of desert. There's not a whole lot that isn't desert. But I think compressing that down to a phone screen would look bad. And you've also got the choice of, if you watch something at home, then even the biggest TV at home maxes out at about 50 inches, I think.
0: And the frame rate as well is not like uh, compared to a big movie screen as well.
1: No, the frame rate should be the same.
0: Yeah, but some TVs can go up to, like, what, 60 FPS at times? Oh, or...
1: that's a feature you can usually turn off. So that's interpolation. Most movies are filmed at, I think, 24 frames, and then when you watch them back on your TV, a lot of modern TVs try to upgrade that to 60, and that's people think that looks fake because they're so used to seeing things in the 24 frames.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, interestingly, you talked about June. Uh, apparently, Villeneuve has uh, stepped in as well and talked about the, hit, talked about the uh, streaming services uh, intervening into the theatrical industry. And I like how he puts it. Uh, to, uh, frankly, to watch June on a television, the best way I can compare it is to drive a speedboat in your bathtub.
1: I love that comparison.
0: He's <laughs> he going to say, for me, it's ridiculous. It's a movie that's been made as a tribute to the big screen experience.
1: Yeah, I think the theatres also are pushing us away. It's not just COVID, but also the way the theatres work. So all these directors are coming out and saying, please go back to the theatres. But the theatres aren't giving us the greatest experience anymore. There's people on their phones, people talking. There's a lot of background noise. Uh, like I mentioned, sometimes you hear other movies playing. Yeah, The screens are getting smaller. A lot of theatres these days have smaller screens because then you can fit more screens in a building. And they do that. They prefer movies that run shorter because even though they're only getting that 1% cut out of a movie opening weekend when most people go, as I understand it, the theaters cut for the movie ticket sales uh, changes from majority to the studio and a little bit to the theatre opening weekend. And the longer it's in, in the theatre, the... More of the ratio shifts to the cinema.
0: Yeah. And it depends on like what, like if it was a big, big action Marvel movie, then it would rake in a lot of money for the theaters. But if it's yeah. like, let's say, a, um, let's say, if it's, let's say something else away from Marvel, let's say if it was like a Lionsgate movie or something like that, then it'll be like, ah, yeah, we're not doing much money. Marvel's just taking all over the, taking taken over kind of thing. That being said... um
1: Yeah, indie games... indie Sorry, indie films don't have as much draw.
0: Not even, uh, not even indie th- films now. Even, like um, like, let's say, for example, if it was a James Bond franchise, like, it wouldn't last long. <laughs> it would just be like, yeah, okay, it's a James Bond movie. It's not a Marvel movie. To be James fair, Bond.
1: there's only one James Bond. Like, right. yes, there's all these different actors, but they are all James Bond. At least with Marvel, you've got the whole... Uh, ensemble. Yeah. You can have a movie about Thor and a movie about Hulk, and they're theoretically different. They're pretty similar to my taste, but um, not my taste as in I enjoy them much. I'm not a huge fan of Marvel movies, but they're pretty similar to my eyes in that they follow the same sort of formula. They have the same sort of jokes, the same sort of plot structure, and they all run about the same length. But um We drifted away from my point a few minutes ago about movie theatres liking short movies is because you can only play a movie so many times in a day. If you have short movies, you can get more people through. And if you get your 1% cut from 100 people who come in to see a movie in a particular session and you can only show that movie four times a day because it's four hours long and it takes up your whole opening period then you're going to prefer the movie that's two hours long, and you can get through twice as many people.
0: Okay, okay. So, uh, interestingly, Patty Jenkins was asked this question as well um, during, in- during the interview. Uh, how c- She was asked, how can um, talent such as directors and actors push to make sure they get the theatrical releases they want? does talent have to leverage to make those demands? And Jenkins responds, I think we have to be very clear about the absolute necessity for it. I've talked to many filmmakers about us uniting, and if someone does guarantee a theatrical run, we will literally go out of our way... I'm sorry, are the
1: writers forming a union?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It it sounds like it. I thought they already had a union, the uh, skill... I thought the, uh, like the Screen Actors Guild and all those things uh, that union It's ex- in the
1: name there, DJ. Screen Actors Guild, not Screen Writers Guild. I think they do yeah, have a yeah. union, though, because all of the television writers went on strike back in 2007,
0: 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But that is an effective way to get what you want, I think. So um, if they want to go on strike to make sure that their movies get released in cinemas, sure. Just don't complain when you don't make any money because nobody's going to cinemas right now.
0: (laughs) So there's the... Oh, wait. So there's the Writers Guild of America and... Oh, get this. It's... There's the East Division and the West Division. (laughs) Like, what?
1: I didn't know there was that much difference in the US screenwriting industry.
0: Uh Uh-huh. But she continues on to say, uh... Yeah, we would we lit- literally go out of our way and take less fee, all kinds of things, to guarantee your film has the chance of success in this certain kind of way. We're in the world, we're, uh, we're in the world have lost so many wonderful things this way, making appliances that last forever. We just throw them in the garbage and make disposable ones. And somehow that happened. We don't have, t- we don't have to let it happen here. The studio system has been aggressive has to aggressively work to not strangulate the industry by making making it possible to be first-run theaters and play other diverse content. I... But here's the problem. Like, bi- like the studio system is a business-only system. They work on what brings them money. Yeah. They don't work on what brings them feelings and morals and stuff. The, They're ruthless. <laughs> uh,
1: the cinema owners are going to feel the same way. They might only get the 1% cut opening weekend, but they also get most of the cut from selling drinks and popcorn. And they're not going to want to show a movie that attracts 10 people when they could show a movie that attracts 100.
0: Yeah. Like, most of the... Like, the industry works on a cost-benefit model. (laughs) Like, it's... So, I mean, her analogies, it's admirable, but it doesn't really work, in a sense. Like, what do you think? The what do you think of analogy of her analogy in this?
1: I understand absolutely why she wants it to be in cinemas, and I would love to see more indie films in cinemas. But I don't think it economically makes sense to have indie film in cinemas unless you have, yeah. like, if you go to most decently sized cities, you'll find one or two indie cinemas. In a lot of places, Um, in Brisbane we have a decent one called uh, New Farm. No, not El Dorado. Uh, New Farm Cinema. They tend to do indie stuff and older stuff. I went there to see 2001: A Space Odyssey, which I had seen on uh, on a computer screen before, but watching it in person on like on a theater screen was incredible. But also. If every cinema was showing 2001 A Space Odyssey, no one would make any money from it because nobody wants to go and see a, that movie. It's 50 years old. People aren't... No, is it 60 years old now? I think it's 60 years old now, this year. Let me check that.
0: I thought it was way, way older than that, but...
1: It came out the same decade as The Moon Landing. 1968. So I'm off by a bit. But yeah, I would have seen it in 2018 then for the 50th anniversary, I think. Yeah, but the uh, you know great movie. Everyone who is into those sorts of movies loves it, but it's not going to fill a, a cinema unless it's a one-off event. Yeah,
0: and I think the director is also trying is discounting the fact that okay, yeah, sure, watching on a screen is be bad, it may be bad, a bad idea, or watching on television is a bad idea. But here's the thing: televisions and um. Small screens are evolving technologies. Like you can also, you might one day get a phone that a phone that will do cinema surround sound, or you can get television that could um upgrade it to cinema surround sound as well.
1: But it's never so, going to fill your vision and have the same quality as a movie cinema, unless you spend a boatload of money and have a dedicated room in your house to be a theater room. You can never have the same effect.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Maybe I, if I you had like that. a four
1: K TV and you sat upright close to it,
0: <laughs> and burn your eyes to the dirt, and burn your eyes, man, that would make you blind as hell. But um, she uh, but she uh, concludes by saying, I think we need to stop treating like like a foregone conclusion that this is the inevitable future because somebody's going to break the model in a way that rocks the world. Someone's going to be making movies and creating a special deal with the theatrical industry and will hold it much longer than everybody else. They'll be be making a billion billion dollars and everybody else will be counting their streaming dollars.
1: Then do it, Patty. If you think this is (laughs) so great, if you think this can be done, just do it.
0: (laughs) Okay, what stops them from doing it, though? I mean, okay, like hey, like, they say this, they, they well, say this. Well, Patty
1: doesn't like, control the, uh, the theatres. She can't tell the theatres what to do. That's why she's talking about forming a screenwriters, movie makers, whatever's union.
0: So you reckon this sort of model will, will work in, uh, let's say, Australia? I mean... I'm not sure. From-
1: Maybe in the capital cities. I don't think we have the uh, population to support... Indie cinemas outside the capital cities. A lot of smaller towns have one cinema max, and it only has a couple of screens, one or two screens, and shows whatever the big hit of the week is. I think if you want to see indie film, you need to live in a place like a capital city that has a decent population of people to support it. Since if 1% of moviegoers want to watch indie films or smaller films and diverse films like paddy's talking about then you can only support one percent as many screens i think it's a great ideal i just don't think it's economic economically there
0: yeah anyways in the interest of time we should uh move on uh you've got a story about junk food and how it can lower life expectancy
1: this is the first time i'm aware of a study that has identified time frames for how much a particular food will knock off your life (laughs) so they've got a graphic in the paper it's a graph that shows you based on the carbon footprint and effect on your lifespan apparently toast of jam could give you 30 minutes more life but a hot dog could take (laughs) 35 minutes away from you
0: (laughs) damn I mean, it's a well-known fact that, yeah, like junk food and stuff can take, eating healthy is take, will uh, add more years to your life. I mean, it's, come on, it's a well-known fact. But what makes it so, spe- what makes this so special though?
1: It's that it's actually been quantified. And the authors are aiming to, in this quantification, show that you don't need to go full absolute hyper-vegan to be relatively healthy. So we all know meat is pretty highly polluting because you take a whole bunch of, uh, of plant food to turn into meat so that people can eat the meat, and each step, each trophic level, that's the word, uh, the trophic level is a fraction of the input. Uh, I, yeah,
0: I see. Well, one... oh, sorry. sorry.
1: I just think it's um, really fun to have the time that you can gain and lose quantified. They based the data on the epidemiological study, the global burden of disease, which is 30 years of data from every country on earth. And then they use that information to figure out how much a particular food would affect your health and come up with a figure for your effective lifespan. But they also, it's not just eating the food that they counted, because they did also count um, pollution, which is a massive impact on human health. So in some ways, the uh, some foods are not great for you, but it's not the food that kills you, it's the pollution from producing the food that will.
0: Yeah, I like how one of the uh, quotes was here. Substituting only 10% of the daily calorie intake of beef and processed meat for a diverse mix of whole grains, fruits, vegetables, and nuts uh, could reduce the average di- dietary carbon footprint of a U.S. consumer by one-third... And add 48 minutes of life per day, which is a substantial improvement for such a limited dietary change.
1: It does seem like a lot. So, for that, um, you would need to eat that way for one month to gain an extra day of life. Now we just need to work out if there's any foods that will give you more healthy life faster than you die from it. Like, I'm going to assume you can't, you know, take this to absurd. Absurdity, and say that if eating a piece of toast with jam gives you plus thirty minutes, then eating forty-eight pieces of toast and jam in in a day will counteract that day's lifespan and make you effectively immortal. I'm going to go with that is not true because it probably isn't.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine? Let me like say yes. We have found the uh, we have found the fountain of youth. It's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> this is this is the holy grail, guys. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich will make you immortal.
1: <laughs> I think you'd also get bored eventually.
0: <laughs> oh man, I can imagine how many uh, food companies are going to use this and market it to the uh, sh- hell out of it.
1: I hope not.
0: Like, can you imagine? Um,
1: I've pulled up the actual uh, paper where they have some yeah. more information, and I see here that um, yeah, they've ranked candy above yogurt, not by much, but it is a does seem to be above yogurt. Oh no, sorry, I'm actually reading the uh, the graph wrong.
0: <laughs> oh no,
1: they have a similar impact, but yeah, now that I'm looking at that, that more closely, I see candy does have more negative impact than yogurt.
0: Ah, <laughs> For a second, now, I was going to go like, ah, I was right. Candy is better than yogurt. Dang it, that goes by fantasy. So, but I like how ca-
1: can we have scientists working on quantifying other things? Like, <laughs> does walking for 30 minutes give you an extra 10 minutes? And then there's, like, all these other factors that go into it. What you eat, what you don't eat, like fasting is supposed to make you healthier. There's some research going on into that in the last few years, which seems sort of counterintuitive. You are not eating. How is your body going to look after itself? But the theory is that eating causes uh, your body to work hard to process the food. And if you stop eating for a couple of days, it gives your body time to do other stuff. But I just like having minute by minute analyses of this stuff so that because I'm a bit of a geek and it feels fun to be able to say, oh, look, an apple, that's 10 minutes.
0: <laughs> I like how they've uh, managed to do do this all, though, is uh, basically they do it with a method called Impact World Plus. Wow, that, sa- that sounds so cool. cool looking. Uh, So this measures the life cycle impact of food from things like production, processing, preparation, consumption, waste, water use, as well as the impact on human health from things like pollution. And in total, the researchers used 18 indicators to evaluate the various foods and rank them accordingly.
1: Yeah, so there's an um, an 18-point system for ranking all of these different foods. But they do also show the uh, effect of um they sorry they aggregate that and show just the effect as the impact on your healthy life stay away from frankfurter sandwiches by the way <laughs> they're even worse than hot dogs oh wait is a uh, hot dog a frankfurter sandwich uh, it might be
0: i think it might be but yeah.
1: um yeah the they've got the graph has what do they call them candlesticks i think um and points out a few outliers um it's you could dive right into the statistics of this.
0: So uh, a frankfurter, by the way, it's a sausage.
1: Yeah, so I suppose that could be the uh, um, hot dogs then. Yeah. Dogs. Macaroni and cheese and pizza are terrible for you. <laughs> yeah, what's that Mediterranean diet about now, people? <laughs> to be fair, the Mediterranean diet wasn't about pizza.
0: Oh, It's about olives and stuff. Oh, can you imagine... This blowing out all the, um, the fad diets, all the dietary, um, stuff that we've been told from years on end, how, like, the Atkins diet is the best way to lose weight. No, the meat diet is the best way to lose weight oh, wow. and so all the other stuff.
1: It is actually peanut butter and jam sandwiches that give you the <laughs> massive boost. <laughs>
0: Uh you know what's gonna be even more weirder, okay, now that we know that peanut butter and jam sandwiches are the key to getting gaining minutes of your life, the question's gonna be which version of a peanut butter
1: yeah, compare <laughs> like strawberry and raspberry. <laughs> does chunky have an <laughs> or, impact
0: oh uh, or even better does chocolate infused peanut butter work? <laughs> I mean wars have been fought over crappier reasons than this. <laughs>
1: hey, I hope nobody takes this and tries to push some dumb diet based on it.
0: Oh, I I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. It it I think it's already it's going to happen. It's uh, it's going to happen or it has already happened and we don't even know it yet.
1: Yeah, I'm sure some Pete Evans type is going to go and start saying that if you eat a peanut butter sandwich while well, Doing your sun gazing, that's a real thing, he said, was good for you. He said, stare at the sun.
0: <laughs> yeah, potentially go blind. Pete uh, Evans
1: is an idiot.
0: Yeah, he also
1: sold gift, um, a machine that was basically flashy lights and said this will cure COVID.
0: <laughs> oh, Pete. He got
1: really, um... Got in a decent amount of trouble for that. Find uh, like, 30,000 bucks.
0: Oh... Uh... Uh, as I said, he was a great chef, but a lousy guru. Was
1: he even that good at cooking, though? <laughs>
0: hey, he has his moments. He has his moments. <laughs>
1: for it all became uh, paleo and whatever else he's going on about.
0: Uh, and uh, finally, for our final topic for the night, uh, Professor, you've got a story about the uh, multiverse. Uh, I, I, I mean, the metaverse.
1: What if you could go onto the internet and never come out? <laughs> would you do it, DJ? Wait are, talk-
0: Wait, are you talking about a Marvel what if, or are you just saying, No, uh, I'm just saying it. Yeah. Uh,
1: Marvel what if... What if isn't a Marvel thing? What if is just words? Stop <laughs> treating Marvel <laughs> like they invented everything, DJ. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it that's to your question, oh, I would... Tempting. It's a tempting offer, but I wouldn't do it. I, I prefer living in, living on the on, on hard ground and relying on gravity more than I rely on living outside, living on the on the virtual world.
1: All right. Bye. <laughs> in the past couple of years, everyone's been talking about the metaverse because everyone wants to make. Billions of dollars, and people have latched onto it and think that metaverse means billions of dollars. <laughs> Just like a few years back, people thought cloud meant billions of dollars. So, we need a like the cloud to butt extension to be modified to change metaverse. So, instead of uh, saying, I put my data in the butt, you can say, <laughs> I work at a virtual McDonald's in the butt.
0: <laughs> it's the phrasing, the phrasing sounds so raw. That's the point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so there's a few competing companies that are making major strides for it at the moment uh roblox which we spoke about a few weeks ago is one of the big ones because you can edit and create a bunch of user content but i think the original mainstream metaverse would be second life yeah and the uh eve is sort of like that but there's no uh community content. Uh, I think right now there's a lot of investors diving into it because they've gotten the idea that people like video games and VR and that it's going to make them tons of money. I don't think many of them actually have the, uh, well, really the skills or the technology. I don't think the tech's there yet, but the idea is that by playing in the metaverse, you can also work in the metaverse and attend social events in the metaverse. Something... why am I thinking Sorry?
0: Why am I th- I was gonna say why am I thinking of Fortnite all of a sudden when they do it's Because
1: it's Fortnite kind of wants pitch. to be a metaverse. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> wants to be the metaverse. <laughs> I also don't think um this might be a little bit of my um what's the word? I've forgotten the word. Apathy? No, not apathy. I can't remember the word, but the free software foundation and electronic frontier and all that. I think uh you know I'm a big follower of those groups, and I don't think we're going to have a sort of commercial metaverse the way people think they will. We will. Whether it's um, Second Life is probably the closest we could have gotten to that, but I think the um, the way we will eventually see it is a federated metaverse where it all interla- interacts and interlinks, but there's no overarching company running it. You might join the Microsoft metaverse and get to hang out in worlds based on Halo or um, some other game Microsoft publishes. My mind has gone blank. Or you might join the Rockstar metaverse and play GTA or Red Dead. Or you might join the Roblox or Second Life metaverse and be able to create your own content. But you can then easily... I think the future will be a federated system where you can easily port over your content from one metaverse to another. I don't think single companies are going to have the power to create a platform like this. I don't yeah, know. Maybe Facebook is, like, will, but I hope
0: not. Yeah, but the, but the problem is though, like if you were, let's say, I switch from uh, the Facebook metaverse to MySpace metaverse, how much legal paperwork will I have to be wrangled with? Or, like. You are, uh, you have switched from Facebook to MySpace. You, you must, uh, you must pay, up, pay up all these um, fees. Ideally not. Ideally not, So yeah, the then... basis
1: <laughs> would be that when you join the, like if you go to the Microsoft metaverse and buy yourself a Master Chief costume, and then you go to another metaverse that allows you to import your Master Chief costume, it would tie back to, oh, I just created NFT. So I think individual companies will run their own mini, mini metaverse or a mini-verse, and that will cover just their virtual world. But because it's federated, I keep saying that word, I haven't defined it yet, but federated is...
0: Well, so, so how about centralized? Would that be a better way?
1: No, because federated is actually a thing in uh, open source software as it is. So federated software is basically each person or group runs their own uh, server, but can also easily port over to another host. One example is um, the federated Twitter equivalent, uh, Mastodon, which is basically Twitter, except you're hosting your own server. So if you're on uh. Like I might set up the Nerds Amalgamated Mastodon server. People who are fans of Nerds Amalgamated sign up under the Nerds Amalgamated Mastodon. If people then go and hop over to join like the TNC Mastodon, they'll come up as TNC, uh, sorry, as Bob at NA effectively. Sort of like an email address. So that would be what I'm envisioning for the metaverse, and that's how I hope it works. I have my doubts that it will end up like that, but I hope it does.
0: And, and, the, and the interesting thing with like, uh, metaverses would be like, how much of the metaverse is going to k- spill into real life. Like, Remember there was a court case with Second Life? I think
1: the goal of the metaverse is to tightly integrate with real life. Because part of the goal of the metaverse is that you can work in the metaverse and create content and be paid for being in the metaverse. So um, probably a a popular culture depiction of a metaverse is Ready Player One. But in that case, they log in to, to go to school and to work and stuff like that. So they have their character in a server going to school in a virtual classroom. But because it's full dive VR, it's a lot more realistic than what we're seeing as virtual classrooms now.
0: I mean, it's—I mean, it'll be fun to have that type of metaverse kind of thing. But then the problem you also have to face is like some t- having who will maintain the power. Like it's like uh, for example, with uh, let's the people Viva la
1: Revolution. <laughs> okay, that's the point of federating it. In that yeah. case, if. If you don't like it, you leave and go and make your own metaverse with Blackjack and Hawkers.
0: <laughs> Would you ever do it though, Professor? Would you ever do it um,
1: I mean, I'm getting really into all of these federated things, and I'm being an absolute bloody dork, and uh, one of my <laughs> upcoming projects is to set up my own federated MasterDone instance and all of that, because... Um, my friends and I talking about uh, chat programs, we're not happy with any of the current chat programs. And a federated chat program like Rocket Chat would give us a lot more control and um, some other features that we're looking for that we can't get in Discord or Facebook. Mm. So I'm a little bit biased, I think.
0: I mean, a me- an idea of a me- of an alternate universe like uh, a a, meta- a metaverse, I mean, it's a good idea, But, yeah, it's just how much money is going to be invested into it. Like, I've seen a lot of people have been investing a lot of money onto this project.
1: Yeah, I think we're not ready for it. I think um, we need more take-up of VR. So, at the moment, VR is a tiny fraction of all gamers. I think we're also too fragmented. These companies, I highly doubt these companies are going to want to do the federated route.
0: I mean, as I was saying earlier, like this who will take, care, who will, um, who will have the ultimate power, and like a, a good example, I, I'm thinking of is Sword Art Online, for example. Like, let's say one rogue developer will just go, you know what? I'm getting sick and tired of this metaverse. I'm gonna make this a death. Of, uh, I'm gonna make everybody die <laughs> physically.
1: Okay, in the real world, so that and in the metaverse, that would involve <laughs> hacking somebody's equipment so it gives them an electric shock or something.
0: Yeah, well, that or <laughs> uh, that or do something crazy, <laughs> uh, really crazy. There will be
1: hackers in any system, though, and if it's federated, and you find out that the Like Not as crazy as that, but if you find out that the developers of your local metaverse are doing things you are not into, like with Facebook, um, and you find out Facebook is spying on your messages and you don't like that and want to go and create your own metaverse, you can. And then you have more control of your own data and it hooks into the Facebook metaverse. You can still hop over and visit Facebook If you want to, but you're not trapped in there. And keep in mind that in real life, none of the technology we have is anything like what would allow a Sword Art Online situation to happen. Yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Like, even if I grant you that, like, let's say, let's take out the Sword Art Online thing, like how it kills the users and stuff. But let's say it bars you from entering the metaverse forever. Let's put it that way.
1: Then you go to a metaverse that hasn't banned you.
0: No, no, I'm How not, do like, I get uh, this
1: I into mean... your head? <laughs> <laughs> There's no one I mean, person like... who controls the federated metaverse.
0: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm, 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 I'm just putting it out there. Like There are some crazy ones. If you ones get banned
1: that, from, one fed- from one metaverse, you just go to another one. It's just like what you do now, except now if you get banned from Facebook or Twitter, then you're banned from interacting with 90% of people. Because it's centralized.
0: Yeah. And I like, as I like the concept of a metaverse, like they, I'm reading the article and they're saying the uh, concerts happening in Fortnite. Like uh, one of the developers was saying, take the concerts that are happening in Fortnite. Yes, they are, these were the same for everyone, but two friends who attended them on different servers uh, were technically not able to share them at the same time in the same virtual place.
1: That's a limitation of the server hardware. If the server hardware, well, also the physical space of the concert, but the way it should work is that if you want to watch the concert with your friend, you join the same server that your friend's on. Uh, I don't know what the limitation with the Fortnite concerts was, but I don't see that why that's an issue. It, we've been dealing with this for years. You can't fit all million people playing World of Warcraft into one World of Warcraft server. You can't fit all of the several hundred thousand people playing CSGO into one CSGO server. So you have multiples and you join the one that has space. And if you want to play with your friends, you find one that has space and you join it with your friends. I don't get what's so hard about this. But I do think that uh, if you want to bring up Ready Player One again, I think that the evil company trying to take over and monetize everything is a good example of what Facebook will do if they get control of the metaverse which is oh, why I God, hope like it, it federates.
0: And here's the other problem with like a federate uh, like with like a metaverse like sometimes uh like what happened recently oh yeah they tried to do the MLK event and how people were very cheesed off about it.
1: Yeah, I don't know of what the Fortnite. point about that was. What was the point of having Martin Luther King in Fortnite?
0: It was a, it, they were trying to do the whole like uh, oh yes we're gonna celebrate the uh, I Have a Dream speech, but uh, so we're gonna install a virtual museum and do and replay the speech uh, on for, on the Fortnite arena, and um, if you if you want to you can attend the speech as well um, in the arena. Okay. So people were like, what the hell is this? And people That's... were really cheesed up. I like think they
1: were, they, um, did... that's why a federated... Uh, the words just come back to me. Fediverse is what people call it. But I think that's where it comes back to. So in a ideal metaverse world, you wouldn't be playing Fortnite and then have a museum dropped on you. You'd be playing Fortnite. If you wanted to check out the Martin Luther King Museum, you'd go to the Martin Luther King metaverse.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like, that's the, that's the problem with, the, with like... Uh... The metaver- when you have a metaverse kind of thing. Like, people would just drop in things just to make it sound like, oh, yes, we want people to raise awareness. Here's something to add in. And to-, and to."
1: people do that anyway. You can make a no, website no, but- right now to raise awareness for whatever <laughs> you want.
0: <laughs> but putting it in a games medium is kind of like, wow, <laughs> really? It's what just the, the next of
1: evolution the- of social networking.
0: Yeah, here we go. Here's- here we go. So it's... Fortnite partnering with Time Studios to go back in time and adding a new ex- virtual experience called uh, King's I Have a Dream Speech. This experience called Martin Lo- uh, March Through Time teleports players back to the reimagined Washington D.C. in 1963, where King delivers the speech. Throughout the game, players will travel to the Lincoln Memorial and the National Mall, where King gave his famous speech, and it will include mini games, quests, pop up galleries, and educational risks resources.
1: Okay, so have that as a separate mode to Fortnite Battle Royale. Call it Fortnite Fortnite Martin Martin Luther King Museum. (laughs) You see my point? It doesn't have to be all one thing. You can split it up. You can have different worlds. You can share worlds with your friends. It's not a single thing. Even Facebook isn't a single thing. You can go on Facebook and you're not going to be forced to look at a Martin Luther King memorial. You just join a group that isn't Martin Luther King themed. I don't get what's so hard to understand, DJ. I really don't.
0: <laughs> oh, but uh, I got a bit though with the with, with this whole experience. There are a couple of people saying that the pandemic has accelerated the interest and investment for this idea. You reckon that's a good that's that's a good thing?
1: I don't know that it's a good thing. I do agree that it's probably accelerated it because. We're seeing a uh, like prototype metaverse at the moment with people using video chat for school and work. I think it's a few steps away from being an actual metaverse where you drop in with a virtual avatar and you can go between servers and all that. But it's um, it's a start.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the, uh, I, was rich, uh, I was also watching, uh, reading one of... Uh reading there saying that the main barriers are everything besides voice communication. And uh, one of the developers saying, even if you remove the VR aspect, most games we play now are clearly defined in which is possible. The freedom comes from emergent mechanisms or behaviours. To create anything resembling a real-life situation, you would need something that's the dwarf fortress of dwarf fortresses.
1: Yes, and that actually... um... So Dwarf Fortress is known for being a absolutely ridiculously in-depth simulation. And that does remind me about um, a manga I just uh, found out about while I was researching for this. The name of it is... Uh, just pulling it up Are again. you saying the
0: Japanese version? Are you seeing the translation or the Japanese name, by well, the way?
1: Well, in, trans- in-, in English, because I don't speak Japanese and I will butcher it horribly. but the title is full dive the next ultimate next gen full dive rpg is even shittier than real life and (laughs) i'm looking for a translated version of it or maybe i'll try to track down the anime if that's in english because it sounds like it could be a funny satire piece compared to like sword art online where the game's at least supposed to be fun but the summary for this makes it look like it's a really realistic game that is obnoxiously boring because it's so realistic. <laughs> it looks fun, so I'm going to try to check it out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And they're also saying that uh, they also, one of the um, other developers says that the real challenge will be the use of proprietary platforms and business models that only focus on extracting value from the user into the publisher instead of more mutually beneficial equation.
1: Yeah, I hope that a real metaverse would be more based around people, a more equal uh, relationship. Currently, Facebook and Twitter make boatloads of money off you. Yeah. Yeah. Just like like in Ready Player One, the evil company wants to take over and monetize everything. But if Ready Player One allowed you to work and stuff in it, then it would be more even.
0: And the other the other problem would be for a metaverse would be okay. Think about it from a geographical perspective. Like, can you imagine go trying to go into the China metaverse? <laughs> and like, it, oh man, the the level of censorship trying to go into that metaverse would be insane.
1: Yeah, the Chinese metaverse would be censored and restricted, and China would probably require Chinese metaverse users to. ...have filters that block Tiananmen Square and all that... ...just like in the real world internet.
0: Yep. (laughs) And it'd be like... ...one social... ...one one minute over the metaverse will equal your social... ...will will deduct your social credit.
1: Well, presumably if you're able to work and socialize in the metaverse... ...then your social credit would tie over... ...because the metaverse is supposed to be tied into real life... It's not supposed to be you hop in and play a game. It's supposed to be something you can live your whole life in if you want to, but it's also really easy to drop out and just go and do something real world for a bit. Yeah, it's an expansion. It's not a replacement.
0: <laughs> oh, I I I like how when World of Warcraft was uh was popular, people lived their lives on that thing.
1: Yeah, people getting married in video games—that's a thing. Um. <laughs> I remember when COVID started. Some Japanese school kids made a graduation ceremony in Minecraft. That's the oh, sort that of thing would, we'll would... see more of in a metaverse.
0: <laughs> would you want to be would, would you want to be part of the development team for the metaverse? If if let's say Facebook came up to you knock knock on the door and say, "Hey, professor, would you like to join us in our metaverse project?"
1: How much are they paying me? Because I'd have to uh... Uh, have to put down some pretty heavy um. Moral issues I have with Facebook? Uh,
0: 50 mil. Uh, uh, that's an odd number. 50 mil.
1: 50 mil? I'd do a hell of a lot for 50 mil. A year? <laughs> or one off? Like, what's my contract? One off. One off. So I get paid 50 million bucks. You know, I actually, if I got paid 50 million bucks and then the rest of my life got paid uh, a pretty typical, you know, average Australian wage, or whatever, it wouldn't be too bad. I'd invest that $50 million and live off the interest.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, anyways, uh, we'll take a short advertising break and uh, come back with our shout-outs, remembrances, famous birthdays, and events of interest.
1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoted for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: So uh, on to our shout outs. Uh, West Australia's first satellite made orbit on board a SpaceX Dragon on the 29th, Perth time. It, uh, It was launched from the ISS. The satellite is called Binar-1, which is... Well, it
1: will be launched from the ISS. Currently, it's in storage there. So these microsats, they send up a bulk load of them in a uh, rocket, and then they have a couple of ways to launch them. These days, they have a... I think it's a spring-loaded cannon, but there's also photos of them, like, hanging out of the airlock in a spacesuit and just yeeting it. (laughs) So it left Earth and is now in orbit on the ISS, but not actually uh, fired out of the ISS yet.
0: Nice, nice. So the satellite is called Binar 1, which is the Nunga word for fireball. The ABC compared the size of it to a Vegemite sandwich, which is a better description than the U.S. news comparing a sinkhole to washing machines.
1: (laughs) I still can't believe how that was a thing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, Binar was developed by a team from Curtin University. On the same day, Australian time, about eight hours before Dragon, actually the day before local time, Astra attempted to launch their LV-0006 mission. The rocket seemed to have suffered an engine failure. The rocket's searing system managed to keep the rocket mostly upright as it walked right ba- back out of the gate. And across the field before finally shedding enough weight to allow liftoff under reduced power. The mission was aborted when the rocket lost control two minutes and 28 seconds after launch. Did you see the video? I
1: love it. It's my favorite <laughs> rocket launch ever. <laughs> the rocket's just so like, gonna- bye.
0: <laughs> so, what are they going to gain from it, though? I mean,
1: well, it didn't blow up on the launch pad, which would have been very hard to clean up.
0: Oh, I hate to be the clean-up crew.
1: Yeah, it could have damaged their launch pad, which would be expensive. Uh, they It was also just a test flight, so there's no payload loss. And they got to find out that, you know, their rocket does work when the engines don't fail. And maybe they can figure something out about what caused it to fail and um, make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. yeah. You know, every rocket nice. launch is a learning opportunity.
0: Yeah, yeah. On the 30th of August, Ed Asner passed away at 91. Ed played Carl in Up, Santa in Elf, and while president of SH, uh, the Screen Actors Guild, criticized then-US President Ronald Reagan's policy regarding Central America. Reagan was also the previous head of the Guild. Ed continued acting up until his death. On the 1st of September, we passed the 50th anniversary of Idiocracy, the film depicts a far future where the correlation between education and birth rate is taken to an extreme. By the point of the story, smart people are effectively extinct due to the outbreed of uneducated people. The movie came back into public consciousness in 2016 when the writers compared Donald Trump's election campaign to the movie. Uh <laughs> That movie c- predicted so many other things besides Donald Trump. He even predicted the um, Crocs being a thing, apparently. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I was reading the article about that. I gotta, f- I gotta find that one now. So uh, onto our remembrances. On the 31st of August, Edward Elmer Smith passed away. Better known as E.E. E. Doc Smith, he worked as a food engineer before com- becoming a science fiction writer best known for Lensman and Skylark. His work was the genesis of space opera and pop science science fiction. In the US, he was helped by his neighbor Lee Hawkins G- Garby in writing feminine matters such as the dialogue.
1: Yeah, to an- be clear, he died yeah. in 1965 and he was writing these in the 20s, so not the most progressive <laughs> time.
0: <laughs> uh, that was a good decision, I will say.
1: Yeah, uh, I Lensman just think it's wasn- funny that he's like, Men don't know anything about writing dialogue. Let me ask a woman. <laughs>
0: Can you imagine him trying to write a romance scene? <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that does sound bad.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, Ledsman was adapted into a board game, anime, film, and television series, which were well, not well received. He was posthumously inducted into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame in 2004. So, uh, on to my famous birthdays. On the same day in 1821, Herman van Helmholtz was born. Herman was a German physicist and physician who studied both physical, mechanical, and psychological elements of vision and hearing. He also developed a theory of conservation of energy in conflict with the currently accepted theory that the movement could cause energy to be destroyed. He wrote about the science of aesthetics and taught Heinrich Hertz about electromagnetism. Hertz would later be make major contributions to the field. He was born in Potsdam in the Kingdom of Prussia. And on to our events of interest. In 1422, King Henry V died of dysentery on the 31st of August.
1: A shitty way to go.
0: visit. Oh, no. He was visiting France. His nine-month-old son Henry VI became, the king of- became king the next day. Henry VI is still the youngest ki- ever ki- uh, English king. On the 21st of August, Henry the Sixth later became ah oh, of October yeah sorry
1: so a few weeks after he actually became king of England
0: uh, yeah Henry the Sixth became a couple king months of France actually, after... but yeah yeah uh king Henry the, the Sixth uh, became king of France after his grandfather's Charles the, the Sixth um death his French no- uh, noble mother Catherine of Valois uh, was kept away from him so she couldn't manipulate him to weaken the English. Weekend (laughs) England. Oh, man, that's cruel. Yeah. That's
1: really Pretty nasty.
0: (laughs) It's like... (laughs) And also on the same day in 1956, Forbidden Planet released in Ireland. Uh, Forbidden Planet is this first sci-fi movie set entirely on an alien planet. The plot follows a crew of astronauts investigating a colony of scientists who they are unable to contact. The scientists have all been killed by a monster. Although the poster shows a robot carrying a woman in, the, in a fairly cliche monster pose, Robbie the robot is quite friendly. Robbie was built by Robert K- Kinoshita, who also designed Robbie, a uh, robot from Lost in Space. Robot also met his, uh, Robbie also got to meet his uh, role model in cameo roles, and Robbie also appeared in cameo roles until the one day other props instead having of a bit of space. trouble
1: wrapping your head around that many robots
0: yeah <laughs> now i'm having robots in my head and they're all penguin <laughs> penguin sized well Dang robbie it.
1: did waddle a bit maybe robbie was operated <laughs> by a penguin
0: oh dear jesus <laughs> so uh, other props and sets in lost in space also called back to Forbidden Planet. Robbie's original actor was fired among after almost falling over getting drunk at lunch. This could have severely damaged a very expensive prop. Oh man. <laughs> the film was supported by an unusually large budget and features innovative electronic music using custom instruments created by Louis Baron. Currently, the only surviving cast member, Earl Holliman, According to cast, Walter Pigeon would ruin takes by reciting di- dirty limericks. <laughs> Can you imagine him like ad-libbing in the middle of a of a of a monster movie with dirty limericks?
1: Keep in mind, this was the fifties, so they were filming on an actual film. That cannot have been cheap. <laughs>
0: Imagine me, the director, like, laughing his butt off in the middle of a dirty and saying, like, this is coming out of your salary, buster. <sighs> so, uh, anyways, that's all we have for this week. Uh, where can they find us, Professor? Facebook,
1: Twitter, Instagram, basically anywhere you can find people. Uh, Spotify or that's not com, where you can find all of our past episodes and the extended show and- notes for this one.
0: Yeah. And we also, and you can also find some new podcasts such as Bob's Short Story Hour. And Bob's Short Story Hour is a fiction and storytelling podcast that features stories from both the public domain and also from independent up-and-coming writers.
1: I love short stories, so this could be fun.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Anyways, that's all we have for this week. Uh, take care of yourselves. Stay hydrated. And it's time for me to bugger off now.
1: Have a wonderful week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.